Well, on the last episode of the Lancaster Patriot Podcast, we analyzed parts of a conference held right here in Lancaster County about the end of Christendom. And the lectures at that conference were presented by Dr. Robert Godfrey with Ligonier Ministries. And the invitation remains open for Dr. Godfrey to come onto the show, as does the invitation for Pastor Godfrey, Dr. Godfrey's son, at Zelton Reich Reformed Church, where the conference was held, to come into our studio here in Lancaster County to discuss Christendom and the question of, has it ended? Now, we've been receiving some feedback and interest in our last episode where we analyzed part one of the conference, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode, but it is long. And so here, in anticipation of part two of our analysis, where we will dig into Dr. Godfrey's proposed solutions to the end of Christendom, is a summary of part one. Defining Christendom. How do we define Christendom? Unfortunately, I think one of the weaknesses of Dr. Godfrey's presentation was that he did not adequately define Christendom. Or, to put it another way, his definition of Christendom changed throughout his two lectures. Let's start with a simple definition of Christendom. And to do that, let's go to Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Christendom. Noun. The territories, countries, or regions inhabited by Christians, or those who profess to believe in the Christian religion. Building on that definition, if we wanted a more specific definition of Christendom, we could say that Christendom is the influence of Christianity on those territories, countries, or regions inhabited by Christians. In fact, the Encyclopedia of Christian Civilization defines Christendom as follows. The definition of Christendom is a group of people or nations under a Christian set of morals and values. The term Christendom refers to the impact of Christianity on the world. Now, in Dr. Godfrey's talk, he announced the end of Christendom, and he also said that he was not overly bothered by its demise. Now, we can hope that Dr. Godfrey would not react in such a way to the end of Christianity impacting the world. Surely, Dr. Godfrey believes that Christianity impacting the world is not only a net positive, but an unequivocal positive. The end of human sacrifice in Western civilization is rightly attributed to the spread of Christianity and the ethical requirements found in God's Word. The rise of charities and orphanages and hospitals was a result of Christianity spreading and the ethical requirements of God's Word impacting culture. The idea of the rule of law, namely that even the king or emperor is not above the law, is a biblical idea, and it spread with the spread of Christianity. Another way of saying the ethical requirements in God's Word is to say, the law of God. The faithful application of God's law word has meant blessing in culture. Ambiguity profiteth nothing. So what did Dr. Godfrey mean by the end of Christendom? Because Godfrey said Christendom has indeed ended, and overall, that's a good thing, according to Godfrey. Well, this is the key problem with part one of Godfrey's presentation. His definition of Christendom is ambiguous. At one point, Dr. Godfrey defines Christendom as a movement that was expressive of this idea that Christ was ruling in the West. It isn't just that Christ has introduced a religion that's true, Christianity. It's that that religion is now receiving cultural and legal support from the government. Now, we can already start to see some ambiguity right here. When Dr. Godfrey says the religion is receiving legal support from the government, what does he mean? Does he mean that the civil government is being influenced 
by the ethical requirements of the Bible, by the law of God. For example, if a civil ruler outlaws child abandonment because of the persistent effort of Christians, as happened in history, was that the religion of Christianity receiving legal support, or was that the civil government being influenced by Christianity in order to apply justice in the civil realm, an application of justice that helped all babies, by the way? Or does Dr. Godfrey mean that Christendom is the church and state being melded into one? At other times in his lectures, Dr. Godfrey describes Christendom as the idea that the church and the state were expected to march together in the defense of Christian civilization. Listen to how he described the recent coronation of King Charles as the last gasp of Christendom. But it's the last kind of gasp of Christendom where the church and the state were expected to march together in the defense of what would have been called Christian civilization in defense of Christendom. Now, at another point, Dr. Godfrey says that America was still part of Christendom, even though there was not an established church. So what does Dr. Godfrey mean by Christendom? I believe if we really want to understand what Dr. Godfrey's view of Christendom is, we need to consider his rhetoric and application in his lectures, for that is often how you will really understand what someone is trying to say when their ideas are applied and they appeal to the people's emotions. Which takes us to Christendom equals coercion. In his second talk, Godfrey almost celebrates the end of Christendom by saying that now Christians can return to persuasion rather than coercion. And for effect, he makes the point that Jesus never went around saying to people, believe in this, or I'll lock you up. Now, this is perhaps a not-so-subtle hint that what Godfrey is doing is presenting Christendom as the coercion of belief. Believe in Christianity, or you will be punished by the civil government. Well now, who would want that? But we must note here that we are not speaking about whether God will hold us to account for our beliefs, or even if the church can enforce sanctions in terms of excommunication for heretical beliefs. No, Godfrey would undoubtedly agree with those things. But he is here discussing the church and state being melded into one, and the civil government enforcing church sanctions. Now, we need to ask two questions regarding this. Number one, does the Bible... Does Christianity teach that the civil government should punish false beliefs? And number two, has such a practice ever happened within Christendom? Well, to the first question, does the Bible, does Christianity teach that the civil government should punish false beliefs? The answer is no. Dr. Godfrey asks at the end of this conference about what should be sins and crimes. Now, we will address that further in part two of our analysis. But I want you to realize that Dr. Godfrey did not answer his own question as far as what sins should be crimes. However, Christians have spent a lot of time answering that question throughout history, even in recent history. For example, Greg Bonson spent much of his energy in answering that question about God's law. Now, Godfrey is certainly aware of those books written by Dr. Bonson. I would also refer those interested to Luke Saint's book, The Sound Doctrine of Theocracy, and my recent book, Seven Statist Sins. In a nutshell, the Bible authorizes the civil magistrate to punish evil, and the Bible also lays out what evils are punishable by the civil government. Just looking at the Ten Commandments and their application, for example, we see that the civil government is called to punish murderers, adulterers, and thieves, if duly convicted with evidence and witnesses, but they are not to punish the person who has covetous thoughts. Thought crimes are not to be enforced by the civil government. 
This is a biblical and Christian tradition. But now we must ask the second question. Has such a practice ever happened within Christendom? For the sake of time, let's just focus on England. At points in her history, the state was melded with the church, and people were punished for what church services they wanted to attend, for example. Perhaps you've read the famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, written by a man named John Bunyan. Now, Bunyan was arrested for attending a Christian church service outside the state-sanctioned church. Now, Bunyan was a stalwart Christian, but he was persecuted by those who thought they were doing service to God. What does that tell us? It tells us that Christians will sometimes be persecuted by those who claim to be Christians as well. Fair enough. But the greater question is this. Was it the influence of Christianity that led to the civil government arresting Bunyan? Or was it the influence of Christianity that led Bunyan and others to resist tyrannical civil governments? And that is the third question that we need to ask to tie these together. Which is the legacy of Christendom? Bunyan's example or the tyrannical state at the time? Godfrey must address that question. It seems that Godfrey wants to suggest that Christendom is mainly coercion, and John Bunyan was suffering because of Christendom. But the truth is that John Bunyan was advancing Christendom, the influence of Christianity on culture, by a more faithful application of the Bible to all of life. And by the way, Bunyan's book has done more to impact culture than nearly any book in human history. Christendom has ended. Finally, Dr. Godfrey argues that Christendom has ended, and he says it ended in 2015. Once again, ambiguity strikes. What ended in 2015? The impact of Christianity on culture? Surely not. Christianity is still impacting culture, though we see peaks and valleys in that progress. So what ended in 2015? The legal establishment of a church in America? No, that didn't happen in 2015 either. So what ended? It's difficult to say based on Godfrey's countless variations of Christendom, but to use his own words, what happened in 2015 was the realization that, quote, there is no longer a Christian consensus in this country, and the majority of people don't feel the same way about Christian morals and values. Now, that sounds a lot different than the church and state being melded into one. In summary, Dr. Godfrey gives us an ambiguous definition of Christendom at best. But at worst, he paints this picture of Christendom as an oppressive regime of thought crime enforcers. And then Dr. Godfrey can easily attack that picture and say, aren't things so much better now that Christendom has ended, now that the state is no longer enforcing belief? Well, as it turns out, the state is probably enforcing belief more so now than ever, but we'll save that for part two, wherein we will analyze Dr. Godfrey's proposed solutions to what he calls the end of Christendom. I hope this was helpful, and I hope you'll stay tuned for part two because these issues that Dr. Godfrey brings up are very important for the church, for this nation, and the future of Christendom. Thanks for listening.